Good morning, Mission View. How are you guys doing this morning? Man, I love the, um, the acoustic unplugged worship. So cool, man. Sounded great. Sounded great. Um, we are finishing up our sermon series in Philippians. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Philippians. If you're new to the Bible, that's towards the back here. You'll find it as you're looking back there. Philippians, we're going to be in chapter 4. Chapter 4 today. All right. Anybody here enjoy mowing the grass? Any grass? Yeah, look at these guys' hands go up. I mean, it's fun to mow the grass, isn't it? Um, back at the, uh, the house I moved from, we had kind of a small yard. And it took me about seven and a half minutes to, to mow my grass with a push mower. It wasn't all that satisfying. It wasn't all that fulfilling. But still, when I was finished, I would look back and see this nicely cut grass and feel a little bit good about myself. Well, now we've, we've moved here to North Canton, and uh, I live in Bobolink, and, and it's a beautiful subdivision. It's been there for a long time, so there's these big trees and, and nice-sized yards. And, and uh, when I moved here, um, my dad came and looked at the house with us, and, and he says, well, son, you, I don't think you're going to be able to do this with a push mower. I mean, you could, but um, he goes, I'd like to give you a riding mower. So he gave me this riding mower. It was an awesome gift, and I was so excited. You know, I don't know about, you know, I don't know if you know guys or not, but we really like power tools, you know? And the louder, the better. You know, the, if you can ride it and it has a motor, that's even better. So um, a riding mower I was super stoked about, right? Well, this was a riding mower that I think um, my great-grandfather had <laughs> that, that he had passed down. To my grandfather, then maybe I think it went to my aunt, and then my aunt gave it to my dad, and my dad gave it to me. Now, I am so thankful. Don't get me wrong. I'm so thankful for this riding mower. And, and um, I remember the first time I used it, I was just really learning my way around the yard, you know, and the bumps and the holes and the different things and, and where I needed to put the deck in order to have the right cut and everything else. And, and so, but by, by the second or third time I've mowed my lawn, man, I had this thing down. I mean, the lines, I could get these lines in the front yard that weren't straight. I wanted to kind of create an S, you know, so, so you had this really nice artistic line. And, and I would tell my wife, I'd be like, hey, Joe, did you see these, these awesome grass lines? She's like, that's great, honey. That's great. Good, good job. And so, you know, she didn't think it was all that big of a deal. But I remember one of my buddies come over, you know, we're going to go to the Vikings football game on a Friday night. What's the first thing Randy Smith says to me as he gets out of the car? He goes, hey, nice lines. I was like, yeah. I turned, I turned to Janelle, man. I turned to Janelle. I said, see, see, it's awesome, right? So I started feeling really good about my lawn, you know, and, and, and I really enjoyed mowing until uh, just uh, this last time I mowed, you know, I get done. And I'm like, man, this is really good, really good. Until I, until I looked across the street and John, man, I'm telling you, my neighbor John, he's got this John Deere. This baby's probably a year old. It's got one of those hydraulic deck lifts that does an automatic leveling. I've never seen anything like it. It's amazing. It's got some type of double wishbone suspension, like a sports car or something. And, and he can mow it like 78 miles an hour. <laughs> and it keeps, it keeps the grass. It, I mean, perfectly level. I mean, it doesn't matter if there's this huge ditch he goes down into or anything else. I mean, it keeps it perfect. I mean, his grass is perfect. 
You, you could not get it. And, and so I, I've, here I am. I'm, I'm feeling great about my grass. I'm looking back at it, and I look across the street, and John's zoom, zoom, going by at 70 miles an hour. And he's, it takes me, you know, a good 20, 30 minutes to mow my grass. He's done in five. And um, he gets done, and he's out there having a drink, and I'm out there looking at his grass going, wow, man. That John Deere hydraulic super double wishbone, man. I look back at my lawn that I was so proud of, and I notice, you know, that old mower is a little rickety. So when I hit a bump, you know, that the de- the deck on it's not attached all that great, and, and um, when I hit I hit a ditch, it, you know, that deck just goes, and, and you'll see these. You know, it's not perfectly even. You know, when I hit a ditch, the deck kind of drops and. Scoops out some mud. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the greatest, okay? And, uh, but I, I, was, I was perfectly content until I looked at John's, John Deere, and I looked at how perfectly it mowed his grass. And all of a sudden, that joy, that, that fulfillment, that, that satisfaction, that contentment turned Man, in an instant, it turned to, man, if I just had a John Deere tractor that had that special suspension, had that perfect deck. And, you know, I went from this expectation and this excitement to be able to to go out and mow my grass to, now I got to go get on the mower again. My lawn's going to look half as good as John's. Isn't it amazing how contentment can be so quickly elusive? I mean, all it took, all it took was for me to look across the street. Seconds. It took seconds. Seconds. Contentment is an interesting thing. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. This is our, this is our last sermon in the book of Philippians. Has this been a good series? Have you guys enjoyed the series so far? Thank you. So glad that one of us has enjoyed it so far. So good. No, no. It's, it's been a great service. I, personally, I've really enjoyed going through it um, just to see all the practical and applicable things that, that Paul goes through to the church in Philippi. I'm actually pretty shocked at how, how personalized this, this book is to me. Uh, like the things that the, the church was struggling with in Philippi, are things that I struggle with. I don't know about you, but they're things that I struggle with. And today is no exception. I struggle with contentment. I struggle with being happy with the things that, that God has given me. So we, we, we're going to talk about um, contentment, finding joy in contentment. That's really the overall thing, theme in the book of Philippians is joy. You know, we see Paul talks about joy over and over and over throughout the book. He says the word rejoice over and over. I think it's 14 times that the word joy and the word rejoice are used as we go through the book of Philippians. All right, hopefully you're in chapter 4 in Philippians. Let's pray before we read God's word this morning. Well, Father, we thank you for your word. As we, we open it today, we, we open our hearts And we say, God, let your word sink deep into our hearts, that it would change us, that it would grow us into the people that you've called us to be. And Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would do a work that only you can do. 
God, that, that you would you'd maybe reveal some things in us that, that aren't right. And God, that you, you would give us the courage to, to step forward out of those things. God, that maybe we would trust you more. God, that maybe we'd believe you more. And God, that we would look to you more. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to be Philippians 4, verse 10 here. Starting verse 10 starts out, I rejoiced. There's that word we're talking about. Rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Now at length, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now, there's a key word here, and you're probably thinking it's content, but it's actually a little bit before that. It's learned. You might want to underline that word, learned. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. And any in every circumstance I have learned, there it is again, the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. God's word for us today. He starts out with that word rejoice. Rejoice. I rejoice in the Lord greatly. The first thing I want to pull out of that first section, though, is, is one thing you can write down is this. Be content. Be content. And I said already this key word in that section, learned. Learned. He says it more than once and is speaking of the journey of our sanctification or change. He's talking about change, how we grow. We aren't just born with this innate feeling of contentment. I mean, think about it. Babies. What's, what's one of the first words that we learn as kids? No. Mine. Right? Right? Have you ever, anybody have kids in here? Was it just my kids? No, no, okay, good, good, good. Right? We, we, we aren't born with this innate feeling of contentment. We, we struggle and we, we see it in our kids. Man, wouldn't it, how awesome would it be if we just had that, that sense of contentment? Like we just came out of the womb completely content. Wouldn't that be awesome? It'd be so much easier to parent if our kids had the sense of contentment just innately. We are all learning contentment. That's, that's what, what Paul's getting at, is, is that we are all learning to be content. But this learning alludes to something more, 
Check it out here in verse 12. It says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. We have to learn the secret. That's the second thing you can write down. Learn the secret. There is a secret to being content, and it's twofold. This, this word secret is, comes from a Greek word that means initiated. We need to be initiated into being content. Now, initiation, when you think about initiation, and, and the Greek word that they used here was being initiated into a group or a club or something like that. But when you think about being initiated into something, what are some of the things that go through your mind? You have to kind of go through some steps, right? They have, like, maybe there's a ceremony that goes along with this, and, and there's a process that you walk through. It's not just like, oh, you're done, you're initiated, that's it. No, there's, there's actually steps that have to be taken for us to be initiated. We learn the secret by walking through the experience of, what did Paul say? Being brought low, living in abundance. You know, it's hard to be content when you have much. And it's hard to be content when you have little. We can be brought low by actively doing it ourselves or we will be brought low by the Lord. We can bring ourselves low or God will do it. The Bible says that God opposes the proud. That pride comes before a fall. See, there's things that we can actually do practically to walk this out in our lives. This is why doing acts of service are so helpful. You know, it's, it's humbling to serve at the soup kitchen and serve soup, a warm bowl of soup, to someone who has not had a hot meal in weeks. As you look across that serving line to someone who is struggling, they're in need of food, the very basics of survival. As you hand them that bowl of soup, it's, it's humbling. Maybe going on a missions trip to a third world country. Anybody ever here been on a, a missions trip to a third world country? It's life changing, isn't it? Go ahead and respond to that. It's life changing, isn't it? If, if, if you believe that, it's life changing, right? Because there's some in here that haven't gone on a missions trip that need to know it's life changing. As we look at people who, who are struggling to survive and have lost children to starvation and, and disease, things that we take for granted, serve others somehow in some way. The, the second part of this twofold learning of contentment is equally as difficult, and it's to be content with much. The reality is contentment is a heart issue. And our hearts are like this unquenchable black hole devouring beauty and joy. In fact, we were created that way. We were created to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. We were, our hearts were created to feast on Christ. 
The problem is we have done this initiation. We have done this learning in a completely different way. We have been lied to. We have been brainwashed by the culture to believe that we can feed on entertainment. We can feed on the things of this world. We can feed on items and things and it will be enough for us. That's what the world says. And it's a complete and total lie. We were created, our hearts were created to be in relationship with our creator. And in that relationship, this, this giving of our hearts, giving of our lives to him, in that we find true and lasting joy and satisfaction and fulfillment. It's only found in Christ. And you hear me say this every week because Paul says it in every verse of this book of Philippians. It's all about Christ. It is all in Christ sustained and life in him. It's a heart issue. And we have to start to look to Christ. Hear me on this. Discontentment creeps in when good things, good things, become God things. They become God things. How do we know how do we know, how do we gauge, how do we measure when good things that God has given us become God things in our lives? The very created things that God has given us actually take the throne of our hearts. How do we know when it gets there? How do we know when it gets there? We have to ask ourselves this question. Am I willing, am I willing to sin in order to get this thing? Am I willing to sin in order to get this thing? That could be a created thing, or it could be an emotional thing. Well, I want peace of life. I don't want to deal with any type of chaos. I, you know, I get enough of that at work. So when I, when I come home, I want peace and quiet. So when I come home and it's not peace and quiet, my kids are acting out and there's fighting and arguing going on, what's my response? Is it a sinful response? Or is it a peaceful response? A righteous, a godly response? See, we have to start asking ourselves these, these hard questions. Because here's the reality is that each and every one of us, me included, have created things in our lives that are God things right now. There are things that I want so much that I'm willing to sin in order to get them. All of us, all of us have that. The question isn't, do I have it? The question is, where is it? Where is it rearing its ugly head in my life right now? You know, peace of life is a good thing. Right? In fact, we talked last week about God's peace coming into our life. It's a good thing. But we can't make it a God. Peace isn't our God. God gives us peace. The world trains us and deceives us into thinking good things are good enough. But in reality, only God is good enough. 
Just like Paul talks about learning, we have learned the wrong things. We have learned how to be discontent, and we need to learn to be content. So how do we do it? How do we do it? Let's look to God's word. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. All right, that's like, the, like one of the number one verses. I think it's in, any, in every NFL locker room, NBA locker room, every high school. I bet we could walk down to the locker room and see this one, you know, up on the walls. It's, it's maybe on a picture in your household right now. And we could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we use it for everything and anything. What's the context that he's actually talking about this in? Contentment. We can be content through him who strengthens me. It's God. It is through Christ that we find the strength to be content, that we find the courage to step through and walk out the process of learning or being initiated into contentment. It's through Christ. There's no magic saying or instant fix, but rather it is us pressing into God, growing in our relationship with God. Contentment, apart from Christ, is fleeting and futile, but contentment in Christ is sustainable. Sustainable. You know, we were created to worship God. We were created to worship God. 24-7. So we are always looking to something. We are always looking at something for that fulfillment, for that satisfaction. What are we worshiping? What are we thinking about? What pops into our minds unexpectedly over and over again? Or maybe too expectedly. <laughs> You know, that, this is why I think worship is such a great tool that God has given us. Music is just a great tool. It forces us to think about what we are doing. I don't know about you, but like when, um, when Jordan started clapping right there, I actually started to think about that. I was like, oh, how do I do this? And I'm trying to follow along with him, and, and we're singing the songs. And then we all started doing it together. And as I heard you guys doing it, it was easier for me to do it. And, and we're singing the song, and I'm reading the words to this song, and I'm really focusing on the melody. And I'm, I'm really focusing on the rhythm. And I'm really focusing on these lyrics about God and, and to God and, and who he is and these, these deep theological truths that Jesse and Jordan are bringing to us each and every week. Just, it's really powerful as my, my heart and mind begin to focus on these things. It's amazing. It's amazing how, how God uses that in our lives. Now, I'm not, I'm not big into like emotionalism and big emotional responses and everything else. But I tell you what, we sing some of these songs and man, tears start to well up in my eyes. There's a reality in, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And our, the songs that Jesse and Jordan picked, they're, they're gospel-centered songs. Thank God for that. But there's that reality of the gospel, the good news. You know, the good news came at great cost. The good news of Jesus came at great cost. And if we understand, if we truly understand the overwhelming gravity of the gospel, 
our worship should be of equal response. This is a great way to grow in our relationship with the Lord. Not the only one, but a, a really good one. A really good one. That we would, we would just really dive into worship. Focus our minds and our hearts on Christ as we come. You know, it's, it's not about a band. It's, it's not about these guys up on stage and girls up on stage. It is about the King of Kings and Lord of Lords who's the only one worthy of our praise. And as we learn, as we learn to grow in our relationship with him and find joy and satisfaction and contentment in Christ, we find freedom from what this culture and what this world tries to offer us that is a sad, sad supplement. Now, this is hard. I, you know, I, as up here talking, this is really difficult because we're here on, you know, Sunday mornings for an hour and then we go out into the world and, you know, we'll, you know, we've got Netflix, we've got Hulu, we've got, you know, Sling, we've got, you name it. We have all of these different entertainment resources that we could go to. We could watch the Browns and we could watch the... The ball game. I mean, we could go and do all of these different things. And those are all really, those are fine things to do, good things to do. But if we start looking to those things for our peace and looking to those things for, for what, you know, if, <laughs> here's a good thing, here's a good thing. And this is something I really had to challenge myself with. When I get tired, when I get stressed out, When I'm at the end of my rope, what do I run to? What do I run to? I just need to go check out an Indians game, man. I just need to chill. Just need to chill out, man. I'm just going to veg out on some Netflix for about six hours. All right? Is that where we find our peace? Is that where we find, and let me just tell you, I'm preaching to myself right now too. I, you know, I, as I was preparing for this sermon, I was sitting out in the back and I just felt this real heaviness as I was reading through this scripture. I was, this week as I prepared it, I was like super excited. I was like, yeah, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be a great sermon. And as it got closer, I just felt this really real heaviness, a real conviction. And I was like, God, what's going on? Church, Mission View, I think this is where a serious part of our spiritual battle is going to be waged. Right here in my hand, I have a picture frame to the world that is invading my life and invading my heart. And I've got it right here. And I've got it right here. And I've got it on my Apple TV at home and I've got it on my smart screen in my car, we are being overwhelmed with with things that can become sinful God things in our lives. And we have been trained and raised up to feed and feast and find security and hope in these things. And they will always, always, every time, they will leave us wanting 
They will leave us desperate. Don't, don't bite. Don't bite. It is a faith, just false lie. Learn to feast on Christ. I said it last week. It's easy to read his word. It's hard to feed on his word. Let us learn to feed on Christ and his word using all the tools, worship music and other things that he's given us that focus our hearts and our minds on him. Paul goes on and gives us more practical training and contentment. We'll pick it up in verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. That's a key phrase right here. Kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So we see another tool here that God gives us to help us work through contentment is that we would share each other's troubles. That we would share each other's troubles. You can write that one down. As we share one another's troubles, that's one of the key things we have here at Mission View Church is called community groups. And community groups have already started. Um, we get together throughout the week and we look at the, um, the text that we are studying each weekend and talk about it a little deeper at our community groups um, as you come this weekend. Uh, who was it? I love that word that you guys are doing that. So you've already read this text, right? And you already know it. How am I doing? Right? I was a little nervous, right? As we said this, oh, you guys get the text early, you know, so you can check on me, right? You know, I'm actually presenting God's word to you, right? Well, that's what we do. And that is a place where we build community. We build relationship with one another. That's, I mean, that's really one of the only times that we're going to have to actually do this. What Paul's talking about, that we would actually share one another's troubles. That's, so as you come together in community groups, and let me just say, me and Janelle are really excited to come to each of the community groups. So we're going to be making rounds a couple times through just to get to know you, to, to meet you, and, and um, experience community groups with you. So we're looking forward to that. It's going to be starting here in the next week or so. But anyways, as we come together and build those relationships, that's the place where we can share one another's troubles. That you, here's, there's two really good things about this. One, you don't have to go through this life alone. You don't have to face the troubles that this world presents, that sin presents, and, and that we present upon ourselves with our bad decisions. You don't have to face all of those things alone. You don't have to do it alone. We want to walk with you through the struggles and hardships of life. That's one really good thing about community groups. But here's the other good thing is that it gives you opportunity to share troubles with others. Think about it. As we're working and talking through contentment here, it is hard to be discontent in my circumstances when I am walking through the troubles of life with someone else. When that friend comes to a community group and their spouse doesn't show up and they break down, See, we've been meaning to talk to you guys about this for a long time, but we're struggling, and, and so-and-so didn't want to come. 
tears. You pray with one another. You open God's word together. Somebody in the group volunteers to call them and, and talk to them, meet with them for breakfast. And a beautiful thing happens. We actually be the church. And we do what God's called us to do. I've walked with so many people through really hard circumstances like that. And let me just tell you, it is hard to be discontent with my circumstances when I'm walking alongside someone whose life is falling apart. What an amazing tool Paul has given us. And it, it's really nothing out of the ordinary. It, it, it's just us being the church. That we would walk with one another through, through troubles and hard times. That's just, that's just normal Christianity 101. This isn't weird. It's just like, this is just what the church was created to do. Love God, love others. And in that order, that we would walk with one another, share one another's troubles, help each other out. All of us have struggled and need someone to struggle with. Share the sorrows and the troubles. Sharing with one another in generosity of our, our time and finances. Paul says that the generosity of the church in Philippi was fruit accredited to them. That generosity is a fruit of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This is really cool. I love how Paul talks about the church in Philippi. He says, man, when I started out this trek on the gospel, you guys were behind me and you supported me financially. But then there, there became a time where you couldn't. And I totally understand. Okay, I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. But, but he says, you know, I, you couldn't help me for this time. That time was 10 years. It had been 10 years since the church in Philippi had been able to send support to Paul. And when they were in a place and in position to support him again, they send Epaphroditus with all of these things and, and finances and other things to support Paul's ministry. And he says, I am so, so thankful that you sent me these things. Not because I needed it. Not because I needed it. But because your gift reveals your heart. Oh, I love that. I love it. Because God, God doesn't care about our money. He cares about our hearts. God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. And you know what our finances represent to us? Our, is security. And we put so much trust in our bank accounts. But Paul makes it completely clear that their generosity, what it shows him, it's a credit to them and what God has done in their hearts. God is after our hearts. He's after our hearts. You know, it's interesting too that they took 10 years off of actually supporting Paul as a missionary there, the Apostle Paul. What this shows us too is that God calls us to use wisdom and the different things that he calls us to give to. God's never going to tell you, hey, give $10,000 to this ministry when you only have $500 in your bank account. He's not going to ask for an instant gift of $10,000. He's not going to ask you to go and borrow $9,500 
In fact, the scriptures say that the borrower is a slave to the lender. And that we are to be harmless, wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. God doesn't call you to do foolish things that's going to put you in, in slavery debt. And we see the example in Philippi. They actually took 10 years off. And when they were at a place that they could give to Paul again, they gave and they gave generously. Because what does Paul say? Man, I have more than what I need. What you guys sent through with Epaphroditus, this was more than enough. God's provision was amazing through what you did. But let me just tell you, it's not about the gift. It's about your hearts, your passion for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you want to see the kingdom of God extended. That you would, you would actually open up your checkbooks. That you would actually give me the things to, that would empower me to go and do what needs to be done. Man, as I read this, I couldn't help but think of the 200,000 people in Stark County that don't know Jesus yet. 200,000 people that aren't in relationship with Jesus. And man, we are in a place, in a position where God, I mean, God has us right where he wants us, church. We are going to reach the 200,000 people with the good news of Jesus Christ. God's going to do it. God's going to do it. You know, it's interesting here that God uses Paul to talk about contentment and follows it directly with generosity and provision. Contentment tied right to generosity and provision. It's hard to be generous when you're discontent. It's hard to be generous when you're discontent. How much effect does our contentment have on our generosity? If we read on, Paul starts talking about their gift as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. This is Old Testament language. Old Testament language he's using here. Paul isn't saying, hey, if you made a sacrifice for the Lord, so now he's going to bless your socks off. It's not what he's saying. He is saying the sacrifice you have made reveals the Holy Spirit's work in your heart. And when your heart is aligned with God's through the work of the Holy Spirit, God supplies your needs. Hear me on this. Our needs change when our hearts align with God's heart. Our desires change when our hearts align with God's heart. Our expectations change when our hearts align with God's heart. Everything changes when our hearts are aligned with God's heart. That's why I hate, hate the prosperity gospel teaching. There's this lie out there. There's this lie out there that says, if you give, 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 God will bless, 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 bless. That your $10,000 gift will be given tenfold back. That is a lie from the devil. That's not the gospel. That's not, what, that's not what Jesus said, and it's not what Jesus lived. Jesus was homeless and on the road.
The apostles lived without a paycheck. I was going to say paycheck to paycheck, but without a paycheck. On the gifts and generosity of the church. Here's, here's the key. We can't earn God's love. We can't earn God's blessing. We can't earn God's money. Everything, everything we have is the grace and mercy of God. Everything. And it's not, go do this, 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 and this, and God will give you that, 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 and that. It's Jesus went and did this, 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 and this. Lived a perfect life. Died a sinner's death. Rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. And now you have everything. Everything. It's not this, 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 and this. It's everything. That even right now, you and I are seated at the right hand of God the Father. That there is power defeating sin right now. The struggle that we have, we have the power to defeat sin because of what Christ has done. We have everything. Everything that we need in Christ and what he's accomplished. The prosperity lie is the exact opposite of the gospel. The true gospel of Jesus Christ. There's nothing more opposite. It's completely anti-Christ. Completely. Let's read verses 18 through 20 one more time. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you've sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To God and our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And it would be easy to put ourselves in the middle of that scripture. It's going to supply my every need, me, mine, what I need, and keep ourselves at the center of that scripture. When the actual centerpiece of that scripture is this, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, what Christ has accomplished, what Christ has done, what that represents, that Christ now has the keys to the kingdom, that he sits on throne and is in power and is coming back one day for you and me. That's the centerpiece of this scripture. Not that I'm going to have all my needs supplied. Now that's a great benefit and part of it. Absolutely, yes, but not the centerpiece. The centerpiece is that it comes from he who's conquered death and sin. And Jesus is the center. God will meet our needs in Christ Jesus. When our minds are kingdom-minded, when our hearts break for the things that break his heart, our prayers, our prayer lives will change. What we ask for changes. What we believe changes. And what we think we need comes into kingdom focus. God's kingdom. Don't look across the street for contentment. 
Don't look to a paycheck. Don't look to a spouse, successful kids, or greater status. Look to the heavens. Don't trust earthly things to bring you contentment. Trust the Lord. And as we close this sermon series in Philippians, I want to tell you this. Joy is elusive in a discontent heart, but joy abounds when we find contentment in Christ. Let's stand as we sing this closing song today.